Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore contemporary issues and solutions in leadership, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. Uh, good afternoon. I'm broadcasting today live from uh, New York City, uh, and I have uh, author and teacher and instructional leader, uh, Aaron Deffern, and um, he's here with us to talk about uh, and provide I, uh, some advice for teachers and instructional leaders on how to disrupt outdated behavior management models. Uh, welcome, Aaron. Thank you, and uh, I am coming to you from Fort Worth, Texas today, and it's a pleasure to be with you and your listeners. Yeah, glad to have you, glad to have you. And so um, Aaron has uh, been in a, a number of roles in in school uh, schools in, in Texas. And um, Aaron, we, we are glad to hear from you because I know that uh, you, you are author of uh, some books and articles. Um, and so we look forward to conversation. And so to our faithful listeners, welcome back. And thank you for being part of our family of thousands of listeners every month. And to our new listeners, we're glad you joined us. Um, and so Aaron, uh, Tell me, I know uh, you've so you've you've been in these different roles. Tell me a little bit about how you started, where you started, so to speak, um, out of college, um, uh, became a teacher. Uh, tell me your story and how you uh, you came to uh, figure out some of the secrets of of uh, managing students' behavior. Sure, I'd love to. So I started teaching back in two thousand. And that actually wasn't what I was planning on doing uh, as an educator. It, I was alternatively certified through a program out here in uh, the Fort Worth area. And really, I wanted to go into the ministry because that's what oh. my brother was doing. That's what my dad was doing. And so I just went into education to kind of pay the bills. I was mm -hmm. kind of your prototypical eight to three teacher, which mm -hmm. means I didn't really have any child psychology courses. Uh, wow. I didn't have any education courses until I went back and got my master's degree years and years later. So I was just figuring it out without anyone really kind of sitting me down and saying, this is how we do things and this is how we can be successful in the classroom. And so I, I feel like I learned some things just the hard way through the School of Hard Knocks, and it worked for me. And a lot of teachers kind of get to that point to where, for the most part, it works for them. Uh, Eleven years in the classroom, I transitioned into administration, and so I became a, a school principal. Now I work in, a, in a, the early learning department of Dallas Independent School District. And as I'm starting to expand my scope, I'm noticing that what works for me doesn't necessarily work for others. Mm. A lot of teachers are stuck inside their own classroom, and with the four walls, they're doing the best they can, but sometimes the best they can isn't quite good enough. And so 
Some of us have the privilege of seeing multiple classrooms in a week, and we can kind of cherry-pick some of the, the better ideas. So I started to notice that some of my teaching experience was very thin or had many gaps in it. So I started loving the administrative experience and being at part of that district level because I got to see so many different things. Mm-hmm. But really, fast-forwarding to, to where I am now, uh, I joined SISD as an instructional coach, so I'm supposed to go in as the expert, right, to help these teachers and to, <laughs> and to get instruction on track. And I knew everything. They trained me on everything except for classroom management, right? Uh, classroom management, that's very type – it's a, almost a personal thing. And a lot of schools, there's a lot of good programs out there, right? You kind of unpack it from a kit and you kind of implement it, and it works for about 75 80% of the classroom but for classroom men, I, I saw a lot of various schools in my district, really hard schools, really affluent schools, and anywhere in between. And I noticed that no one really has an idea as mm-hmm. to what really works. We're just kind of shooting in the dark. So that kind sure. of got my brain working, looking for solutions. And, um, and so I was looking at my own experiences. I'm looking at different teachers. And I noticed that most of the solutions, and this is kind of the genesis of this book, and it started several years ago, this, most solutions are very one-dimensional. Um, they are, they're wanting you to focus completely on procedures, procedures, procedures. When I started teaching back in 2000, it was Harry Wong, the first days of school, teacher mm-hmm. procedures, and it's going to be great for about 80% of the time. Yeah, that's going to work, but what about that other 20%? Now we're doing so much work with social-emotional learning and emotional literacy. That's fantastic. But how does that mesh with procedures? And then if you can get your classroom all working into this wonderful utopia, you stick a worksheet in front of a kid, and now you've got behavior problems because they're bored to death. So Mm -hmm. some solutions almost are separate from the actual instructional practices, and it's all about trying to control kids' behavior, which doesn't work, and they completely ignore the fact that some of our instruction is is unengaging, it's low level, and we're creating our own problems simply because we're not uh, creating tasks that interest kids. So I realized that most of the solutions out there are one-dimensional, so I started looking for themes, and I started trying to weave together multiple disciplines, whether it be uh, behavioral psychology, cl- classical classroom management, neuroscience, social-emotional learning, culturally responsive mm-hmm. teaching, uh, mm-hmm. even parenting, because there's a lot of good parenting books out there based on neuroscience uh, that yeah. we can draw from because as teachers, we're sometimes surrogate parents for these kids for seven, eight hours a day. Absolutely. And it all kind of wrapped together into this larger framework, which I use the acronym CHARGE. So take charge is kind of a play on words, and each of those letters, the C-H-A-R-G-E, each stand for a different facet. And so mm-hmm. my, my solution, so to speak, is don't take a narrow approach. There, there's not a, a one-size-fits-all approach. There's multiple things that we have to hit, and every classroom is going to be different. And every school is going to be different, you know, whether you're teaching in inner city New York, you're teaching in Iowa, you've got to find something that you can adapt and make your own. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the final piece of this is I wrote it in a uh, – I wrote the book, Take Charge of the Classroom, in a first-person, second-person point of view. I wanted, to, mm-hmm. I wanted the, the reader to feel like I'm sitting down next to them, talking to them, sure, sure. rather than it being a, kind of a, a distant third-person observer. And sure. it's – I would love to be able to work with the school, but a lot of times teachers and principals, they 
don't necessarily have as much flexibility as they would like with their professional development. Okay. So that the goal of this book is what can a teacher do if they pick up this book, close the door, and just do what's best for kids? Because sometimes mm-hmm. they're waiting for a school-wide approach. And that's great, but leaders are there. Not all districts are there ready to uh, handle that. Mm-hmm. But teachers need solutions they can implement on their within their four walls. So that's, yes. that's a whole lot kind of in a nutshell. Oh, okay. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, something you said to me really um, – Uh, resonated. When I started my career in education, uh, I started as a pre-service professor at a private uh, university. And one of the first courses I taught, believe it or not, was classroom management. And uh, but but what you what you just said to me resonated that uh, especially around ed psychology that, you know, that you were here, you were, you know, through an alternative um, route to certification, and as many of our teachers are, um, and and one, but even the the teachers that go through a pre-service program in undergraduate or even as graduate students uh, have maybe one course in ed psychology. Now, I was in mm-hmm. the state of Connecticut uh, teaching and. Uh, ed psychology was actually a requirement for pre-service teachers, but um, uh, many states don't even have a requirement for ed psychology. Um, so that's something that I think um, uh, is is worth mentioning, and and a very important thing to bring up that uh, uh, much of what you know, kind of the understanding about things like motivation. Uh, I remember um, that I I taught and introduced them to the work of Alfie Kahn. I know you are familiar mm-hmm. with his work, um, and and to kind of understand human behavior, uh, he talks about motivation um, a lot. But but I I just think it's worth mentioning that. Um, ed psychology is so important to the training, and I, I was just glad to hear you you mention that. Um, what do you What are you, or I guess I should say, how do you integrate? Um, I know you've mentioned human behavior. Um, mm-hmm. what, what's your position on motivation? Um, how important is that in in the work that you describe? It's funny that you, that you key on on motivation because uh, this is my fifth book that I've written. And I just I really write for myself just to kind of get my ideas out on paper, and I just hope mm-hmm. I can benefit others. But that was actually my very first book, my very first foray into authorship uh, mm-hmm. was a, a book called Solving Student Engagement. And it came from – you know we, we, we write to kind of help ourselves through problems, and it came at a point in my life when I was uh, a principal of a charter school. And I was having difficulty with engagement in the classroom. And it was simply because as a teacher, I always seem to have engaged kids. But when I'm an administrator trying to help and and coach teachers through that, I can't just tell them, oh, do what I used to do. Uh Because first off, they're not me. And secondly, the situation is completely different. And third, there's more than one way to engage. So I really started digging into, well, what is engagement? Um, and to me, engagement is the intersection between instructional design, which is what we do as educators, right? That's our lesson plan. That's how we our turn and talks, 
uh, what's the pacing of the schedule, right. what is the curriculum right. that we're using, all of that, right? But mm-hmm. there's a hidden variable that I found, and that's student motivation. Like, what, what is it that causes students to want to learn? And I de- developed this acronym CRAVE, um, and I went just really deep into, into social cognitive uh, psychology to really understand, because there's a lot of research out there, but CRAVE simply stands for competence, relationships, autonomy, value, and emotions. Mm. And so if we know what motivates kids to learn, right, and it's kind of like a psychology profile, there's kind of peaks and valleys for kid. Um, but if we know what actually causes kids to, to want to learn and to tick, we can design our instruction to leverage that rather than what many teachers do and what I ended up doing, not knowing anything, was just you just throw it up, you know, like throwing spaghetti on the wall and hoping that something sticks. But mm-hmm. Under, mm-hmm. the more we understand about human uh, behavior, the more we understand about student motivation, where we can make sure that our lessons have a component that's going to allow students you know, they, to increase their competence, how mm-hmm. important autonomy is and, and relevance and the relationships and all of that. And that sure. actually folds into this current book because the E in the Take Charge model is engage, right? One, the, in the first five parts of the Take Charge model, we're doing everything we can to set students up for success and, and designing the classroom culture of our dreams and making it just a wonderful learning experience. And then finally after that, guess what we have to do? We have to engage kids. Right. We have to make sure that we're doing things um, so that they are engaged in learning and successful in learning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you mentioned um, that, and you know, and, and I actually said at the beginning, you so you've been at all, uh, a number of different levels, and you've been a instructional coach, and so you you didn't want to tell people just do it this way because it worked for you. Um, if you sure. when you think back over. Uh, the teachers that you've helped over the years, is there any kind of theme that emerges that says, you know, when people are struggling, here, when, I, when I go to help them, here's, here's some of the questions or here's what I notice that is a good place to start in trying to figure out what's happening for them. Um, what, what would you say if there is kind of a theme that you've seen across where people struggle? Well, what I've noticed is, and the approach that that I take and that we take in in our work in Dallas ISD is that people are doing the best they can. Mm-hmm. We always have to presume positive intent, mm-hmm. and so when instruction is not working, when classroom management is not working, it's not because of a willful choice on the teacher yeah. to right. you know just make a horrible. And and that sounds simplistic, but there's a lot of times that coaches, uh, administrators, campus coaches whatever type of leadership position you're in, they walk into it with a negative point of view or they think, well, this teacher is just choosing to, you know, have a boring uh, lesson plan. Mm -hmm. And we're all doing the best we can. And so if the best we can isn't good enough, then it's our job as as coaches through the partnership approach to help them see a better way. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, to, to bring it back to behavior management, what I notice is that if you have no ed psychology courses, if you haven't read any books, right, the only frame of reference we have, what was it like when we were in school? So back when mm-hmm. we were in mm-hmm. school, right, day mm-hmm. one, what do you get? Rules and consequences. That's Here right. Are six rules. Here are the consequences, and it's typically, it's increasing, right? We'll start with mm-hmm. uh, a verbal warning. We're going to write your name down somewhere on, in an agenda on the board, phone call home, and then we're going to go 
you know, we're going to go to the principal. It's typically mm-hmm. moves that way. Mm-hmm. And it, maybe it worked for us. Obviously, our experiences are very, you know, filtered um, through our memory. We're not remembering anything. But even if it did work for us, it doesn't work today because it's mm-hmm. fear-based. Mm-hmm. And anytime you're, you're trying to leverage fear to keep students in line, um, you're going to get much more of the hippocampus and the amygdala than you really want because mm-hmm. anytime that you're, you're dealing with fear, emotions kind of overtake things, and now we're not learning because we don't have access yeah. to, to our executive functioning. And even if that did work, let's, there's always those naysayers that say, well, it works for my classroom. Even if you have rules and consequences, it doesn't tell students what to do. All it does is tell them what not to do. So all you're doing that the best possible outcome there is to get them to inhibit negative behaviors, mm-hmm. but you're not telling them what you want them to do instead. So some, some, what I've noticed is without any type of direction, some teachers tend to, to slide towards that extreme. Then you mm-hmm. get the other extreme, and uh, I specifically work with early childhood classes, pre-K through second and third grade. Mm-hmm. So on the other side is what I see a lot, and that's the rewards, the token economy. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. so we're going to give you points. We're going to give you stickers. Now there are digital solutions, and you've got teachers following their class around with iPhones out, giving them class digital points, trying to to motivate them to earn points in order to get some type of reward. Mm-hmm. That doesn't work for several reasons. Number one, students reach a satiation point really quickly, and that pencil that was worth inhibiting their negative behaviors in August isn't going to cut it in October. Right. So right. what teachers have to do is they have to keep upping their game. And those dollar store trinkets, that have to become Walmart prizes, and it's, it, you, you can't get off that merry-go-round. Secondly, right. what they don't realize is that that is still a fear-based approach because even though you're trying to positively motivate them in order to get a prize, guess what the flip side of that is? Mm-hmm. If you don't do what you're supposed to do, you're not going to get your point. Not going to get it. Sure. I'm going sure. to take your point away. So it's still fear-based, and we're still activating sure. all the wrong parts of the brain, and it still lives in extrinsic motivation, right? Sure. It's very external, and we want students to be intrinsically motivated, and that comes from competence and autonomy. We've got 30 years of social cognitive research that shows us that, so we've got to sure. keep it inside. Sure. And the third thing I, I type of see sometimes is more of like a, a color chart, maybe a clip, Right, and so you kind of move a clip up or down. That's kind of a primary thing, and that's just based on shame, right? We're gonna we're gonna shame you in front of your in front of your peers, and that shame is supposed to motivate you to do better. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> just just spend about five minutes in a in an early childhood classroom and see what happens when you tell a kid to go move their clip down, and now mm-hmm. you have a secondary reaction, and you're dealing sure. with that secondary reaction because they're freaking out because they don't right. want to move their clip down, right? And it just so it doesn't work. And then most teachers just throw their hands up in the air. They try what they can think of. They try what's popular. If you just Google classroom management techniques, you'll get some fun stuff on Teachers Pay Teachers or Pinterest around these things. And so they end up just kind of falling into this kind of generic fussing. They just kind of fuss at kids. They just verbally tell them to stop, and they kind of do and they kind of don't. And it, it's, not, it's not great, but it's the, it's the least energetic classroom management style out there, and that's typically what I w- will see is just teachers just kind of verbally just kind of nagging kids all day long. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's not beneficial, but it's the best that they have. 
Sure. And and let me tell you, that that really uh, sticks with you. I, I chuckled when you said, when you mentioned writing someone's name on the board or check marks or what mm-hmm. have you, um, it, it took me back to uh, when I was in my early 20s before I um, got into education as I am today. Um, I, I became, I was a um, um, substitute teacher part-time um, in a mm-hmm. district in, in Connecticut. And I never forget, I was in a uh, early childhood. It may have been first, second grade. And, and so in, without even thinking about it, my approach was that when I was trying to get order and discipline in the, in the classroom, the first thing I went to without ever being told it was a strategy, because I guess it worked so well for me, um, was mm-hmm. I wrote, I wrote the, the kids' names on the board. So, and, and it just, it, it, it just, that was my go-to. And, and the reason I'm bringing that up is that I think in the absence of good classroom management techniques that are that are taught that are explicitly with a framework and with a and and a model um, that without that we go all the way back to well what was my experience and I would yes. imagine that there are a lot of teachers that go back to their own experiences now um, for some, I mean, back then, for me, it was it was maybe an experience that was 10, 15 years earlier. But now, if there are people who are still functioning in that kind of mode of, you know, as you said, a fear-based model, a, uh, mm-hmm. a, a system of penalties and consequences, um, they may, they, they're definitely going to have varying levels of success, which is a good, a really good place. Uh, for those of you who have just joined us, um, I'm talking to a veteran teacher, classroom management expert and author, uh, Aaron Daffern, and we're talking about um, in part, his um, most recent book, Take Charge of the Classroom, and we're just talking about how to disrupt outdated behavior management models uh, in education for classroom management purposes. Um, but it's a good place to now kind of pivot to uh, talking about why those models don't work today. Um, and yes. I've, I've had many teachers who have said things to me like, listen, I had to do some very different things um, because these kids are different. What, what's your take on that? They are different, and, and we just have to accept it because if we're still, uh, you know, if we were still using the same technology in the classroom we were 20 years ago, uh, we, would be, we would be laughed out of the school. When we started, mm-hmm. it was, you know, mimeographs, and, you know, if you mm-hmm. had an overhead projector, that was, that was the top-of-the-line technology. You know, right. now everything's iPads. and what. So w- with our understanding of behavioral psychology and uh, neuroscience more than anything, because now we have a much better idea of how the brain works and how sure. integral emotions are to that, we've got to update our systems. Yeah. And yeah. so we now know what doesn't work, so we spent the first part of this part talking about what doesn't work. And before I dive into at least a, a broad overview of what does work. Um, let me just tell you, listeners, that you can find uh, a lot more information on my website, aarondaffron.com slash take charge. And I'm actually uh, – the book is available for pre-order now at a, at a mm. discounted rate up until August 1st. But I'm starting um, a 20-day web series on August 9th, 
that's going to do a much deeper dive. It's going to take each of these components and really expand them out. And that's free, so you can sign up for that on, on my website, aaronDaffern.com slash takecharge. If this just kind of tickles your, your interest and you want to learn mm -hmm. more, that's coming up in August as teachers start being ready to, to open up 2021. Um, mm -hmm. so, what, so what does work? And this is, where, this is where I start to lose some teachers because the first two things I'm going to say are going to be things that they say, oh, I've already tried that. But remember, mm -hmm. what we need is a multifaceted approach, not the, a singular, you know, right. out-of-the-box kit. So number exactly. one, relationships, right? Relationships are the precursor to learning. They're actually the medium through which we teach, mm -hmm. but we need authentic relationships. Kids can smell BS a mile away. And they can Absolutely. tell whether you really care for them or not. So there's a lot of teachers that think being friendly with kids, maybe doing a TikTok dance, that's not going to cut it. So it's really your heart, how you show up as a teacher, why are you there? And when you, you start day one of really wanting to d develop authentic relationship with kids, you can't fake that, and that's just genuine interest. So that, that's, mm -hmm. that's the foundation. The second part is establishing and practicing procedures. And this is where most teachers say, well, I've already done those things. It doesn't work. Well, that's the foundation. There's some other things on top of that. The problem with procedures is that we do it, we teach it once, maybe twice. They do it once or twice, and then they forget. And then what happens when the kid doesn't do the procedure, whether it's entering the classroom, whether it's how we want them to turn in work, how we want them to um, signal that they need to use the restroom. There's procedures all over the place. Most teachers, they try procedures. But think about it. If a kid is not able to read, we don't yell at the kid or we don't suspend the kid because they can't read, right? We teach mm -hmm. them with empathy. But when a kid sure. doesn't know how to behave with the proper action, what do we do? We yell at the kid, we shame the kid, and we suspend them. So if our students are not meeting our behavioral expectations because of procedures, we need to just practice it again and again with, without the shame and without the belittling and without the idea that they're purposely trying to, you know, mm -hmm. defy you in front of their peers, mm -hmm. right? Take a very mm -hmm. calm approach. So that's, mm -hmm. that's the foundation. Most teachers start from there. The things that really start making the difference is when we start integrating behavioral psychology. So there's this fantastic book um, called Freedom to Learn by Dr. Art Willens and Carrie Williams about differential social attention. And this is where, with, through my 21 years of experience, I started as I was researching for this book. I said, oh, this was one of my missing components. It's all about the power of your attention. Your attention defines your reality. And whatever you focus on, you're going to see more of in the classroom. And that goes back to my previous statement about the nagging and the fighting. Because when you fall into this trap of a student misbehaves, and you're going to just nag them, fuss at them, sit down, be quiet. I told you not to do that anymore. Your kids are training you to pay attention to negative behavior. And you are training them, if you want my attention, start acting up and I'll give you my attention. And then you wonder why you see more and more and more of it. So the power of your attention is, is you notice the behaviors that you want to see and you ignore the behaviors that you don't want to see. As long as they are simply attention-seeking behaviors, we, we can never ignore, you know, dangerous behaviors, right, behaviors that, that need immediate intervention. But a lot of our behaviors in the classroom that we see are simply students' ways to communicate, I need attention. Mm -hmm. I need help modulating my emotions. I, I don't know how to handle this right now. And so 
the more we react and interact with those negative attention-seeking behaviors, the more of them we're going to see. We just get into this trap. It's this merry-go-round that we don't realize that we're on. So part of the book talks about how you can focus on the positive behavior. So if you've got two kids, for a quick example, two kids that are up walking around rather than doing their work, rather than telling those two kids to sit down and start doing the work, you start noticing and praising the students that are doing what you want them to do. And you start noticing and, and highlighting the kids uh, that are sitting doing their work quietly. Because whereas token economies, whereas rewards and trinkets have a satiation effect, social approval does not. So there's, there's no point to where s students are going to be tired of having the social approval. And all students want to learn. All students want to be, have a, a approval from their peers and their teacher. And so you mm -hmm. reserve your social approval for the students that are meeting your expectations. And that's Absolutely. where some just like, oh, that, I'm not used to that. I'm just supposed to ignore you know, the kid that's talking loud in class or walking around, well, it depends on whether you want to see more of it or not. That's, that's a very brief overview. There's much more, obviously, in the book. But then there's a few other things I would, I would tell teachers to think about. You have to make your classroom a safe space because a safe brain is a learning brain. So whether it be, um, you know, negative bullying, peer pressure, shaming, Anytime that the student has any type of anxiety, you know, from outside of the classroom, you know, kids today obviously have a lot different trauma that they're dealing with in regards to home situation, poverty, all kinds of stuff. And so if they don't have that safety in the classroom, if there's still fear and there's, there's still shame in the classroom, then they're not going to be able to access what they need to in order for the higher order thinking. So we Absolutely. focus on making the classroom a safe space so they feel that if they do make a mistake, it's, they're not going to be punished. They're, it's not, they're not going to be penalized. We need to talk about emotions. I'll talk about the last two real quick. Emotional literacy mm -hmm. is huge. Emotional literacy, empathy, right? Because when we can name emotions, then we have power over emotions. And so mm -hmm. self-regulation, which is the ultimate goal, right? We want kids to be able to regulate themselves and not always have to rely on us to be able to work through situations and their big emotions. Well, that starts with being able to name your emotions, and being Absolutely. able to discuss emotions and being okay with not being okay and being able to talk about it. Because when you name something, you have power over it. And if kids only have basic terms like sad, angry, upset, then, then they're not going to be able to really understand the nuances between how they're feeling and why they're feeling. Mm -hmm. And then finally, goes to that final thing that I was talking about earlier, the engagement piece. You can do all of that other stuff. You can have the warmest, most loving, nurturing classroom in the world. The kids feel loved, supported. They're on the same team. They have a common purpose. All those things you talk about in the book. And hand them a packet of worksheets, and now you've got behavior problems. <laughs> so the, the first five steps in the taste charge, take charge model just set the foundation. Finally, we've got to engage them, and we talk about this. A lot of research on memory, retrieval practice, how we can help students process and make meaning, using what we know about neuroscience, not just hacks that we, that we find on the Internet, and finally what motivates kids, what I talked about a little bit earlier. And if we can take all of those things and that the, the teachers t today have a proper understanding of like the big picture, that's when they can start personalizing it and they can start saying, well, you know what, with my kids or in my situation, I think we really need to start here. Mm -hmm. um, and it's it's very flexible. It's a series of principles as opposed to a lockstep system that you have to, you know, roll out in a sequential order. Mm, excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much. Some great.
there, Aaron. Um, and for those of you who may be website that uh, mentioned earlier, uh, Aaron Deffern com a a r o n d a f e r n dot com. So please make sure go take a look at the website. Uh, reach out to uh, Aaron if you have questions. Um, but also his re- his book that's coming. He he mentioned that it's uh, at a discount uh, to pre order. Take charge of the classroom. Um, some excellent advice here, not just for teachers, but for uh, individuals that are instructional coaches, principals, and so forth. So thanks so much, Aaron. We uh, really appreciate it. Um, and as I told you before we started, this uh, goes so fast. In fact, we've gone yeah. over our 30 minutes. And thank you for the listeners for uh, staying with us. Um, for next week, I just want to uh, let you know who we have coming in next week. We have uh, Dr. Rafael Pelayo, um, who is a physician and researcher at uh, Stanford University at the Sleep Medicine Division. Uh, next week, uh, August 4th at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, uh, Dr. Pelayo is going to talk to us about the importance of sleep in leadership and decision making. So should be a really uh, fun conversation and informative. Um, but Aaron, again, thank you so much. Appreciate you. And um, just just um, want to say um, next time we will uh, uh, we'll be on the lookout for your book. And um, and hopefully everyone out there um, will pick it up. Um, so until next time, Go well, stay well. Appreciate it. Thank you, Dr. Perkins.